Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. This week we're looking into the future of 3D printing and caring for our professional carers. But first up, here's the news. levels of certain proteins rise in the blood when someone is intending to kill themselves. A study from the Indiana University School of Medicine shows that the same proteins found in the blood of people suffering bipolar disorder who attempted suicide were also recovered from the blood of people who had committed suicide without a bipolar diagnosis. Biomarkers for objectively predicting and tracking suicidal intent may help prevent deaths by identifying when vulnerable people are at risk. The paper was titled Discovery and Validation of Blood Biomarkers for Suicidality and published online in the Journal of Molecular Psychiatry. Their sample size was quite small and they only tested men. So while it's very suggestive, more research needs to be done to validate these findings. Tuesday, September 10th was World Suicide Prevention Day commemorated every year to provide worldwide commitment and action to preventing suicides. As of 2011, it was estimated by the World Health Organization that over a million people kill themselves every year. That's one death every 40 seconds, and there are 20 failed attempts for every life lost. In the overwhelming majority of cases, suicide is pathological. That is, it's caused by mental illness, and it leads to irreversible tragedies. Those numbers are greater than the number of people killed in war. Studying blood samples from nine men with bipolar disorder, researchers were able to watch the levels of the proteins they'd identified, rise when men contemplated suicide, and fall when the men had no suicidal thoughts. In blood samples from another group of men who had committed suicide, the concentration of these proteins were very high. The proteins included SAT1, which is involved in the replacement of damaged cells for new growth, and proteins involved in inflammation and stress responses. The researchers showed that the levels of SAT1 was correlated with past and future hospitalizations for suicide attempts in this group, and a similar but weaker correlation in a group of men with schizophrenia. The researchers suspect that this group of protein markers in the blood may identify someone who's vulnerable to acting on suicidal thoughts, as well as indicating when people intend to commit suicide. Suicide tends to run in families, suggesting there's a genetic factor. Previous studies have identified as warning signs for suicide in elderly depressed people and people with bipolar disorder, poorer decision-making, inability to learn from the past, and impulsive behaviours. Other studies using MRI magnetic resonance imaging have seen abnormal brain activity in people showing suicidal behaviour. While suicide is complex, 
This work could eventually lead to a blood test for psychiatrists to objectively predict the risk of suicide in patients with mental illnesses such as bipolar disorder and major depression. Of course, any blood test would only be useful when used when listening to people's expression of their feelings and thoughts, watching their actions and behaviours, and examining their family history. You can find out more about World Suicide Prevention Day at wspd.org or wspd.org.au. And if you're in crisis in Australia, you can call Lifeline on 131114 and the Suicide Callback Service, 1300 659 467. In the USA, you can phone the National Hopeline on 1800 784 2433 or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 1800 273 8255. And finally, a reminder that the Sydney Mini Maker Fair is coming to the Powerhouse Museum on Sunday, November 24th, 2013. So get making and come along and see what other people have made. up, the future of 3D printing. Stuart Grover has opened Sydney's first walk-in 3D printing studio in the rocks. He invited the 3D printer meetup group to visit his studio for a talk on the future of 3D printing. I began by asking him how he got into this field. I was, uh, I was actually at the International Space University and uh, studying space studies and at the university they were talking about um, uh, space entrepreneurs and they said uh, uh, you know the only space millionaires started out as billionaires so I originally went to space university thinking I would set up a space business and uh, then after hearing that I was like nah, I think it's probably not for me um, but whilst we were there they actually started talking about how they were using 3d printing on the space station to um, to print replacement parts so the idea being that um, to fly, fly a kilo of payload into space uh, it cost $50,000 and that part may never be used but if you've got a 3D printer and the base materials you only print what you need as the parts break you print it and replace it and uh, as soon as I heard that I thought about all the applications on earth and then uh, from there you know two years ago I've now got three 3D printing businesses. And where are they located? Uh, Manly and the Rocks in Sydney. Awesome and Today we've been at a 3D printer meetup talking about the future of 3D printing. So I'm trying to think for people, can you give the, the barest covering of what 3D printing is for those few people who haven't been re listening regularly and don't know what it is, and then we can go into the future. Sure, so 3D printing is the ability to be able to build objects uh, in an additive way. So traditional manufacturing is all about taking a block of material and chopping it away until you end up with the part you want. 
has a lot of waste, a lot of uh, energy used in the process. With 3D printing, we basically start with a blank surface and we build an object up layer by layer by layer using a variety of different materials. The major benefit being that every object we produce is completely customizable. So, um, you know, no longer do we produce a million of the same item, we produce a million individual items. And when people come into your print shop, how do they get you to de design or produce an object for them? So there's two ways, basically, we produce items. The first way is we reverse engineer a, an existing item. So they may walk into the studio with uh, a tool which they can't any longer buy. What we can do is put that onto a 3D scanning device, and the 3D scanning device will spin the item and give us a, a reconstruction of that existing item, and then we use that to print. The second one is they may walk in with a, an image, you know, a printout of a, I want this cartoon character, for example, creating in three dimensions. Um, we'll then sit them with a designer and we'll work out how that should look and we'll build that object using CAD modeling on the screen and then we'll print that. And you also run workshops for learning to do computer aid design of 3D objects. Yeah, that's right. So uh, with the uh, 3D training classes that we run it's a basically a three-hour class where we start with a blank screen and by the end of the class we've got a printed object which uh, the person the, the student takes home with them so it's a real basics 101 um, teaching them how to do 3d modeling how to provision that model that they've created and make it print ready and then to actually print it using one of our 3d printers and you were talking here tonight about the future of 3d printing and you're presenting some pretty interesting ideas. Um, one, of, one of the new ones to me was 4D printing. Yeah, 4D printing is uh, still really in its infancy, um, but it's, it's a real possibility of being able to program materials. Um, currently, we only really have control over the shape of an object. With 4D printing, it's all about being able to control the way the object behaves and, and uh, responds to certain situations. So for example, um, a water pipe. Uh, currently we lay a water pipe in the ground. Um, over time it may burst. Over time it may lo no longer be able to handle the, the amount of demand, the amount of water it needs to pump through. So what we then do is dig up that water pipe and lay down a bigger one, a newer one. With 4D printing, the idea is you can lay down a pipe and then as the demand increases, the pipe is programmed to expand and get bigger. Similarly, if the pipe actually has a burst in it, it self-heals. So the materials heal themselves. It's a pretty crazy concept, but that's 4D printing. <laughs> and you were talking about the idea that the next step up for the 4D printing, not just self-healing, but self-assembling objects. That's right, yeah. So self-assembly is basically... Uh, the ability to be able to construct objects in one way and then expose them to certain environments and then to, for them to transform into a completely new shape. So the example I gave was um, you may have uh, an object which you print, 3D print, very small. You then send that through the post, so the, the postage is a lot less than if you've got a larger item. When it gets to the consumer, the person who's ordered that uh, print or that part, they then expose it to water or a chemical or the air and suddenly it bursts into its full size, full shape. It's like a seed. Pretty much, yeah, it grows. <laughs>
Oh, yes, you were talking about the printing of organs. Yeah, very interesting area. So bioprinting is an is a area of 3D printing which is really accelerating massively. Um, there's a lot of research institutions looking at it. I mean, the simple paradigm is that um, using stem cell technology, using 3D printers, we can now construct organs, we can construct um, replacement body parts um, using 3D printers. Um, in essence, we, we build them from the ground upwards. So, it, you know, it may be a replacement heart valve. It may be, uh, the example I gave earlier, an ear, a replacement ear, uh, which has actually got the, the ability to be able to detect um, sounds built into the ear itself. So, amazing possibilities in, in, medical, uh, in the medical area. And you were talking about uh, the possibility of scanning an organ when you're young. Yeah, another uh, interesting idea which is being touted uh, probably 20 years away or so, but uh, the idea being that you can have a full CT body scan um, done of yourself in your prime, so in your 20s, and then by the time you reach your 50s and 60s and your body parts start failing, you recall your old scan, print an exact replica of how your body part was in your 20s, and then implant it in your 50s and 60s. Amazing stuff. And NASA is playing with 3D printers now just this week. Definitely, yeah. NASA are big investors now in 3D printing. Um, as I said earlier, the economics of sending things into space is, um, is you know, pretty compelling. Um, if you can print it while you're there, uh, brilliant. So they're talking about things like moon bases, for example. They're looking at the feasibility of... 3D printing a moon base rather than actually building it using traditional methods or rather than print, uh, taking out the moon base as a, a single um, single object or constructing it out of uh, numerous very large parts. You actually use a 3D printer to build it from scratch. That's amazing. And you also mentioned um, carbon nanotubes. Yeah, so carbon uh, nanotubes are just one of the many building blocks they're looking at. Uh, you know, the strength of those nanotubes um, if we, and hopefully very soon, have the ability to be able to 3D print using that kind of technology, then uh, uh, you know the strength benefits, the material benefits are enormous. It will really launch 3D printing forward. So carbon nanotubes are basically little nanometer-sized tubes of carbon that are very strong and conductive and have all sorts of amazing properties. That's right, yes, they do, yes. And... Uh, very difficult to replicate those kind of material properties using traditional materials today. Um, therefore, you know, if we could 3D print that kind of uh, material, benefits would be enormous. And you're talking about two-photon lithography. <laughs> yeah, two-photon lithography is uh, an interesting process which builds an object up, at the, again, at the nanoscale, at a very small scale. So currently we build things generally at 28 to 200 micron layers. Um, Two-photon lithography is basically building things at the uh, pretty much at the atomic scale and, and slightly above that. Um, by it's, it's a lithography is kind of a it's a basically a process of using two photons colliding the two and then uh, building an object up from that. Um, it's actually a remarkably fast process. So the idea being that we can scale it uh, eventually in the future. We can scale it to build larger objects as well. Amazing! So you could build just about anything. <laughs> that's, that's the promise, yeah. Um, 
you know, it's still early days and there's a lot of ideas being touted around um, uh, the possibilities. Um, there's certainly a lot of hype in 3D printing. I don't want to add to that hype. Sure. But, um, you know, I prefer to look at the future in, with rose tinted glasses and with the possibility um, that there is the potential to, to realise a lot of what's being touted. And lastly, back to the near future, um, you were saying that Microsoft is putting 3D modelling or 3D printing formats into Windows 8.1? That's correct, yeah. So, so Microsoft wants to make 3D printing as uh, simple as 2D printing. So 2D printing today, we don't need to worry about intermediate software. We basically open up our package, our software package and hit print. The idea with Windows 8.1 is they can introduce that kind of capability directly into the, the operating system. So the operating systems will have native drivers for some of the 3D printers. So the 3D printers will be truly plug and play then. Um, and uh, the software, you'll hit print directly from the software and you won't need to worry about all the uh, intermediate steps that we now are concerned about with 3D printing. And if people want to find out online about your 3D printing studio, where do they look? Uh, 3dprintingstudio.com.au. Um, we've also got our training classes listed there. And uh, we also have a, a 3D printers meetup, which we run every month. Uh, it's a free event. Uh, we have normally between 40 and 50 people that come down and we discuss different topics or relating to 3D printing. And that's available through meetup.com. Stuart Grover, thank you very much. Uh, no problem, thank you. That was Stuart Grover, co-founder of the 3D printing studio at The Rocks in Sydney and organiser of the Sydney 3D printer meetup. You can find this on meetup.com and find out more at 3dprintingstudio.com.au. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com we're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And now this week's three-minute thesis from the UTS Science Faculty. Students have three minutes to explain their research to educated laymen with only one slide. For cash prizes and a chance at the Trans-Tasman competition in October. Here's Ty Lees with his prize-winning talk titled Who Cares for Our Carers? Stress and Cognition in Our Health Professionals. So what would your world, your life, right now look like without health professionals? They advise us on our health, look after us when we're ill, and in some instances save our lives. The truth is that all our worlds would be vastly different. We'd all live much shorter lives and some of us simply wouldn't be here. So without them, we would all suffer. Now, if you take a moment to think about how you all feel after suffering through a long, hard day at work, most of us will agree that generally we feel drained and exhausted, both physically and mentally. Now, if you keep this in mind when you consider the scenario of having fallen seriously ill and finally getting yourself to the emergency room, you're attended to by health professionals who are stressed and they are overworked. So what goes through your mind? It's probably how well am I going to be looked after? I'd suggest maybe who looks after them? Australia has approximately 400,000 doctors and nurses who look after the remaining 22.5 million of us. If you simplify these numbers, it indicates one doctor or nurse for every 56 Australians. An absolutely unbelievable workload, which when combined with their long working hours, sees our health professionals continuously juggling stress and the ability to provide the best possible care that they can to their patients. So now we know that these professions are inherently stressful, 
And we know this stress does lead to declines in the quality of patient care, having been implicated in up to 57% of all adverse medical events. We also know that stress does lead to declines in our cognitive performance in certain domains like our memory and decision making. But what we don't know is how stress affects our global and domain specific cognitive performance of our health professionals. So my study aims to address the lack of research here. To do this, we'll be examining the links between stress, cognitive performance, and the brain's electrical activity. We'll be measuring the brain's electrical activity non-invasively using electroencephalography. Our cognitive performance will be assessed using a number of different screening tools, and stress will be measured both using biochemistry and psychometric analysis. So the results of this study have the potential to provide new cognitive biomarkers for declines in cognitive performance as well as information that can be utilized by the health sector and relevant policymakers. On top of these, the results don't only benefit the well-being of our healthcare professionals, but also should see improvements in patient care and a reduction in the number and severity of adverse medical events. So the socioeconomic benefits that you all will see from the results of this study are immense. You'll see reduced costs, improved health, and saved lives, one of which could be yours. Thank you. This would be effective on science faculty. <laughs> Depends how, many, how much life saving you do every day. <laughs> like, you know, so it depends what you talk. Like, health professions are sort of um, not, not an easy target, but they're a suitable target because they are so important to all of us. Like, think about your family, your friends, everyone that you're seeing. All of you have been sick enough that if you didn't have healthcare treatment, you would have died. And, like, you know, whereas scientists, we make those discoveries to sort of answer those questions. So you can say they're equally important, just in a different like, road. Anyone else? Question. You're looking for scientific backup for an early marker. <laughs> <tell it is. laughs> Thanks. That's great. Sorry, I think there's one. Oh, just, a, just a quick question, because yeah. you, uh, you're looking for tools to assess how stressed doctors are. Uh, not quite. We're looking to see what the stress of their job actually does to their ability to perform their job. Uh, okay, so uh, once you establish that, what's the outcome? Because we already established that doctors are stressed yep. uh, and they, their performance mm -hmm. suffers from that. So where do you take it? How do you take it from there? Well, the, the initial outcome is to sort of produce some cognitive biomarker and biomarking tools that we can use efficiently and quickly while they're in practice. So then we can sort of identify whether or not they're sort of at the point where they're heading into decline. And then on top of that, that's where we're taking that information to the health sector and policymakers. So basically they can push something through suitable to overcome. It could be something like as simple as giving them an extra 15 minute lunch break or something like that, where it just gives them a little bit of a chance to unwind. It could be sort of a tool that gives them coping mechanisms and whatever else. So it's undecided at the moment. There's lots of options for us. My question is, if, it's, if that's not already known, what do you, that, that, that they overwork and they need that 15 hour, 15 minute break, that's my question. Well, if, no, if that brings something something new to the field. I think that's a question that can be addressed over, over de-stressing drinks. What's your answer that was Ty Lees with his prize-winning three-minute thesis talk at the University of Technology, Sydney. You can find out more about the three-minute thesis competition at www.3minutethesis.org. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate.
When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement, and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and that you want to hear more episodes. Please like our Facebook page and leave us a comment. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2HHH in the Hornsby-Karingai area, and syndicated on the American National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.